0: Friends, gather, I invite you to pray with me. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, what a sacred honor you've bestowed on me to be a messenger for Jesus for you. Uh, Lord, uh, I ask that they would just see you through these words, that they would trust you with their lives. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so Happy New Year, church family. Good to see you in 2019. You're looking good. And I am excited this year to go on a journey with you, uh, to journey and see how wide and high and deep and long is the love of Christ. I was on that journey last year and the year before for 36 years actually, and I'm still not done with it, and uh, you probably aren't either. And I want to welcome you if you're new to this space, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, if you're new to Amazing Love, um, you're welcome here. We hope that your time is blessed here. We do have donuts and coffee, so thank you for being here. Um, But to get things going, I wanted to talk about the fact that some people take categories of life too seriously. For example, some people take their musical preferences a little too seriously. And I wanted to know, have you ever been subjected to the musical preference of someone else? Raise your hand. This could be in a car. This could be headphones. They say you have to listen to the seven-minute song. And, uh, and they're just so geeked out about this band or this musician that they subject that on you. Uh, some people take coffee really, really seriously. And I've recognized there's a dichotomy in coffee lovers. There are the Dunkin' people and the Starbucks people. Uh, Raise your hand if you're a Dunkin' person. All right, raise your hand if you're a Starbucks person. Yeah, see, there's a split. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and that's because coffee people take their coffee seriously. Um, People take sports seriously. I hear there's a playoff game today. If you're a Bear fan, could you just say Bear Down? Good luck today. Good luck today. All right, here we go. Um, And, uh, yeah, they're they're very serious subjects. You know, sports is one of them. My mom would agree to disagree on that one. She always said people take sports too seriously, but that was just my mom's take. But then there are other categories of life that we maybe don't take seriously enough. I remember growing up, and we weren't all too concerned about every ingredient in our food. Remember that? Like, we cared about it being fat-free, but that's about it. No MSG, no gluten, right, you know. We ate a hot dog without asking what was in it. It just tastes good with mustard, right? And maybe we should be a little bit more concerned. Or I consider um, doctor's visits. I can be your annual checkup reminder. If it's been years before you've had a physical, maybe it's time to take that seriously. 2019, good to see the doctor once again. This happens with kids, right? Kids maybe take too seriously a video game like Fortnite, you know, and I don't know how many kids use their money on just those Fortnite coins and help and whatever. I I don't know how to play the game, but I know it's a big thing. Maybe they take a little bit too much time on on YouTube or Netflix and and not enough time on what mom and dad have for you and your homework and playing outside, you know. But That's the world we live in. Well, as we've come today, we, we are starting a new series and so welcome once again and uh, a raise of hands if you remember WWJD, and and this was so popular during the 90s, I remember they made bracelets, Uh, here's a bracelet, what would Jesus do is the phrase. It was a time that also, if you were a a trendy Christian, you also probably wore this shirt along with your WWJD bracelet, that was just the era that you were in. And it's a phrase that was taken from uh, Charles Spurgeon's sermons, uh, some uh, from a book From Charles Sheldon, named In His Steps, and it was subtitled, What Would Jesus Do? It was a phrase that that parents and teachers would use. Like, if if your sibling hit you, you would ask the other sibling, Well, what would Jesus do? And the answer was not, hit him back, right? It was something that you'd ask for for all sorts of situations, uh, whether it be generosity and helping the needy, what would Jesus do? Well, he would give. What would Jesus do? Uh, sometimes used in a guilt way, but it was effective to to get us to think of the heart of God. Well, today we want to explore a, a different topic, and that is what would break Jesus' heart. What would Jesus undo? What, what, what is he against? And I believe that he is against meh. And I don't know if you're f- familiar with the word meh. Meh is a common teenage expression I know teenagers who do meh very well about a lot of topics of life. <laughs> That's okay. And, and, and truly, there are things in this life that you can be meh about. You can be meh about what you're eating for lunch. That's fine. Spinach and grilled chicken. Meh, right? You can be meh about coffee. That's all right. I know, I know it's not the biggest thing for everyone. You can even be meh about sports. I, I don't see a lot of meh, but you can be meh about that category. But, but, but we've come to talk about God, And as we consider God, and and we consider his heart, if you're taking notes, here's the first takeaway that that we'll explore. I don't think you should be meh about God. Like, meh is a category he is not looking for. Take it or leave it, well, you know, kind of in it. You know, meh is not really the goal of Christianity. In fact, the goal is to, to be all in, to go after it, to surrender to be what some people called me as a, as a youngster, a Jesus freak, or a Bible banger, or whatever. But, but that's the goal, to, to completely sell out. D.L. Moody, he put it this way. D.L. Moody, a Chicago pastor, he, he, he said, that this is the aim. The, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man or a woman fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. Now, what if we in 2019 said, you know what, D.L. Moody, I'm on the same road the same journey, to completely sell out surrender to the cause of Jesus Christ and what he could do. That's so good. What if, friends, we didn't just sing beautifully, take the world, but give me Jesus, but we lived it daily in what we choose to do or choose not to do. Take the world, but Jesus, if I have you. You know, I'm a scholar of Martin Luther. I've considered his life a time or two. And something that often comes up about studying his life, people would say that he took God seriously. Amazing love, church family, if that was said of us, that would be a good statement. Th- those group of Christians, those, that gathering, they, they just took God seriously. But where are we when it comes to the spiritual state of America? Not just us, but America in broad strokes. You know, uh, I remember a talk I went to. This was already seven years ago. Um, It was a speaker from Australia. He came to America because he thought it was the epicenter of Christianity. So excited to be a part of what God is doing here. But he was talking about the threats to Christianity. And one of the threats that he put his thumb on that I still believe in is apathy. Indifference, what I'm talking about today In fact, he referenced our first lesson and said when it comes to the soil that is so prevalent in America, that soil is the soil among the thorns. And and I wanted to share it with you. The soil among the thorns. Still others like seeds sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, as Americans, can we relate to this? Are there any Americans you know? We don't have to focus on ourselves. Let's just think of other people. But is there anyone who's concerned about the worries of this life? Probably met him, you probably know him. What about the deceitfulness of wealth? We think that money's going to offer so much and yet it delivers so little. The desires for other things, all the different things that could be part of our lives instead of God. And what's really interesting to me, it says it doesn't make them unbelievers. It doesn't make them destined for hell. What does it just say? It says these people have a lot, but they're, they're producing very little. They're unfruitful because of all the other things that come before God. You know, it was interesting to me as a pastor, we used to do door-to-door canvassing, and uh, there were times where I had the opportunity to share the gospel. And I just love it. I feel like Santa Claus because it's a gift, ah, you know. And, and sometimes it would move people to tears, and it's so beautiful to understand this gift. But at other times, people would hear it, and they would say, yeah, I've heard that before. But sorry, I'm, I'm just not interested. And I got the distinct impression that that there there were people who who knew the gospel and heard the gospel, but here's the tagline, they just didn't care. They knew it, heard it, and it was an afterthought. Not the main thing. And now, before I focus on other people, what about my own heart? Am I fully consecrated to the Lord, as D.L. Moody said? Or do I have work to do? I think you know that answer. And maybe your own heart as well. So what would God say to indifference? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because we're going to consider those words. We're going to dive into the book of Revelation. And this was um, a disciple named John who was uh, on the island Patmos who received direct revelations from God. And God did a spiritual diagnosis of one church, not Amazing Love, but of Laodicea. And, and, and what he saw and what, what, what he recommends is, is still applicable for us today. So let's get into Revelation chapter 3. Here it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. This is God. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Those are strong words. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. We'll talk about what that is. So that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Um, This is often a picture of Jesus and his righteousness, that if you're a believer through faith, you inherit, you get his perfection on your behalf. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see the Holy Spirit, which enables us to see many of the things of God. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. How great will that day be? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word that we need to get to consider. Could you help me out and turn to the person next to you and tell them, sell out, sell out, sell out. All right. You know, today by the way, I, I operate kind of like a coach. You, you ever been coached by someone? And, and and by the way, I just think God, God is coaching me too in, in this, uh, just so you know you're not alone. But a coach kind of rubs you, right? Challenges you. And, and I think as, as good as this word is, it, it may challenge a bit of what's going on in your life today. So I just want to like warn you of that, all right? So, so, so let's consider uh, and, and continue with this discussion. Um, what I recognize is that when you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of options. Anyone have an amen for that? You don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of options. I, I was talking with my, uh, my, my child who watches a YouTuber who uh, is one of 12 children, right? And, and she was asked, what is your favorite restaurant to eat at? What is your favorite place to go out to eat? And being one of 12, she said, you know, does eating at the dollar menu at McDonald's count, right? One of 12, you don't have a lot of options, it reminds me of my wife who then relate, you know, when she had her one pick as a child of any restaurant to go out to eat at, what did she pick? McDonald's. And, and there's nothing wrong with McDonald's. I love McDonald's. It's just that there's probably other options, you know, when it comes to food. But if you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of options. And, and maybe you remember this if, if there's a, a first-time home buyer, Do you remember sitting on the other side of that lender and saying, well, here are your options? <laughs> oh, thanks apartment it looks like it is <laughs> you know <laughs> and that's just our experience well the correlating principle is that with added in income comes added options doesn't it which which we celebrate because if you're in new Lenox area they just open a Cooper's Hawk and they are opening a mod pizza and if you have added income those are options you can now explore that are delicious in nature right With added income, you get options when it comes to house, when it comes to car, when it comes to your vacation. There's a lot that added income can, can afford you to look at and consider when it comes to this life. Now, as we look at Americans in general, broad strokes, are we a rich people or a poor people? We are some of the richest people that have ever lived, and that is a fact. And we also If you've ever been to a third-world country, if you've ever been to places that are not as capitalistic and not as wealthy, we have a ton of options. In fact, you had other options of what you could have done with your time today. Isn't that true? And and a lot of them were really, really good options. In fact, I consider what it's like um, when we have a really bad day, all the options that we could do to, to get therapy. If I'm having a bad day, I can do retail therapy. I can go on Amazon, click some stuff, and now I feel better. That's an option I have because of income. If I'm having a bad day, I can go to the spa, get a massage, do the floating thing. I haven't done the floating thing. Or the salt cave. There's always a new option for spa therapies. If I have added income, I can learn from the experts. You know, I can read a book about someone who's been through it and, and, and go to the library and just digest all the, the experts and what they say about what I'm going through on a bad day. If I'm having a bad day, I can do entertainment therapy. And the options here are endless. I can go to the game. I can watch the game. I can binge Netflix, option after option after option. And for us who are rich, the sad state of things is, is it not true that God can just become another option? And that's something we need to be real with. See, the temptation in America is not to make God the only thing, but to make God an option. If I'm having a bad day, I'll first try retail therapy and escape through entertainment. And then if I have nothing and I'm exhausted, all those other things, well, I guess I could go to God. He's an option. But we need to consider this a little bit more. And as we talk about finances, let's get our bearings just a little bit. I want to ask a yes or no question. Um, Yes or no, is it sinful to be rich? No. Very good. Awesome. Awesome. I'm glad you know that because I'm not like against rich people. I'd be against myself if that was the case. I'd be against everyone here if that's the case, right? Um, It's not sinful to have money. Um, In fact, a heavenly father loves to give his children good things. Maybe some parents in the room said, wow, it was fun to give my kids good things over Christmas, right? Um, and, And we look at David and Solomon and Job and they all had a lot of money and they weren't less spiritual or more sinful Um, So again, it's not bad to be rich. But let me ask you another yes or no question. Are there temptations that come along with riches? Absolutely. And that scripture is very, very clear on. I don't know if you remember this story. There was once a very rich young ruler who came to meet with Jesus and said, how can I inherit eternal life? And and he thought, okay, love God, love other people. And he did that, or so he thought. But Jesus challenged him. He coached him. He rubbed him the wrong way maybe. And, And look at what it says. First, I love this. Jesus looked at him, and, and what does it say? He loved him. So he's not trying to be mean to this person, but he's trying to coach him over where his heart truly is. And said, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. What he was basically saying is, take the world and follow Jesus, what we just say. But do you know how the story ends? Maybe you do. The, the verse goes on and says, at this the man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And, and, and you can consider what's going through his mind. You know, I had a lot of options, God. Uh, my car was really nice. My house, oh, man, magnificent. All the things I could do on the weekend, the entertainment options. God, you're saying I should give that all up and just have you? Well, that's really hard. In fact, that's why in Proverbs, they they set this precedent of how to handle money. And and there's some wisdom recorded for us that when it comes to money, here's a great dichotomy. We'll start with this phrase right here. It says, so then, when it comes to money, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread, basically what I need. Otherwise, I may, may have too much and may, what's this word? Can you say it out loud? May, and friends, that's a temptation that is facing us. The temptation to say, because I have so much, because I'm so richly provided for, I don't need God. In fact, that was a temptation in the church of Laodicea. Let me give you some history. Uh, Laodicea, they uh, were very affluent, they were great laborers. They even had an aqueduct system because they were so rich. Indoor plumbing at that time, there was early centuries, 30 AD, very, very rich people. In 60 AD, there was an earthquake. And it devastated that, that city. And, and a Roman historian named Tacitus records that they were actually able to rebuild all by themselves. Here, here's the history lesson. It says, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources with no help from us. So the government was offering a bailout, and they were like Ford. They did not take the money, right? Uh, this was Laodicea. They were self-made men and women, those who again knew what it was to be rich, to have material wealth based on what they were providing for themselves. And God speaks into this and and, and he says, look at at what you say. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. What's the spiritual reality? You don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, there's a dichotomy between earthly riches and spiritual ones and And the Lord of all, the God looking in and says, man, um, yeah, you might be earthly wealthy, but you're spiritually bankrupt. So, what can we learn from all of this? When it comes to indifference, and I know I'm the coach rubbing you and creating some tension here, but, but I think this is true. Beware of apathy fueled by affluence. Just beware. Money is not evil, but the love of money is. It creates options. Beware of making God not the only thing, but just a thing. Beware of the temptation of saying, I am a self-made man or woman. I had no need of God to get to where I am. Beware of, of wanting the world and the things of this world more than wanting the things of heaven where God is Because this is sin. And what's really interesting is is how tough Jesus was in these words. He said, you know, when when you get this wrong, it doesn't just annoy me. It's not just a flea bite. It's a nauseating feeling in my stomach. In fact, I want to spit you out because of this sin. And why? Consider the heart of God with me. He's not a mean curmudgeon, a bad coach. But his heart was all in for us. Tell me, what is meh about the cross? Absolutely nothing. What is meh of being in agony to the point where you're sweating drops of blood? What is meh about the creator of the world coming down as an infant, giving up everything, being humbled to that point so that you and I could be redeemed? The answer is nothing. The heart of God is this crazy love, this all-out activity, the, the activity that says, you can't stop me, and you don't even know how far I would go for you. And because apathy has nothing to do with his activity, it should have nothing to do with ours for him. This is the word. You know, another pastor, he, he gave this illustration. I was listening to Pastor Craig Rochelle, and, and he recorded a time when, when he went all out to give a gift to someone he was impressed by. And it was someone who had done great things for the community, someone who had done great things for the religious community, and he spent seven times his normal amount to get this gift. He researched what this man would like and and making sure it was right up his alley to give this gift. They are at a conference where he was interviewing this person, and he was so excited to to make the presentation of this gift And, and maybe for him to open it and for him to say, oh, wow, you shouldn't have, and this is way too much, and oh, my goodness, look what you did. But instead of doing that, the person to whom he gave the gift just set it aside and they continued with the interview. He didn't open it. He didn't recognize. In fact, the story gets worse. It goes on to say that he showed up the next day and that gift was still unwrapped, waiting in the green room. He hadn't even looked at it. Now, how would have that made a pastor feel? I did so much and he didn't even care. <laughs> it kind of reminds me, this is more light, I don't know if there are any guys dumb enough to try to buy women's clothing for their bride or their gal. I was that dumb. I've learned, friends. Because you face a supreme amount of awkwardness (laughs) being in that department, getting your mind there, and then 99.9% of the time it does not work out. It is not the reaction you're looking for. And that 0.1% is the time they lie to you. more on Jesus Jesus isn't just giving clothing Jesus isn't just giving seven times the normal amount gift Jesus is giving his life and I think when you give your life and you receive apathy there's something that just breaks your heart about that that nauseates and turns and so he's saying dear friends You can give me your allegiance. You can give me your passion because I gave you mine. You can pour out your life for me because I poured out mine for you. This is the heart of God that fuels us to not just be indifferent, but to passionately pursue Jesus, our Savior. So what do we do then to solve the apathetic nature, influence of our society, what could be the answer for apathy? Well, I want to talk to you about this. And for that, um, I want to know, are there any history buffs in the room who who would say I I have a mind for history? I would like to enjoy history. It's just that my mind does not retain it. My mind is more of a uh, purger than a hoarder. I wish it was more of a hoarder, but it knows how to just pump out things that don't exist, but I've studied a little bit of history, and and maybe if you've looked at persecution in history of the Christian church, you've learned a few things. Let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. In the first centuries, Christians were persecuted heavily uh, under the Roman oppression, uh, Nero and the Colosseum, and it's interesting that during this time, Christianity was actually thriving. People were, were strong. People were saying, you can hurt me, rob me, kill me, it doesn't matter, Jesus rose from the dead, he's worth it, take me. It's incredible how they thrived under persecution. Well, in the 300s A.D., Constantine came. He he saw a sign, in this sign you will conquer. And and because of Constantine, the Roman emperor, it became popular to become a Christian. And some of that was good because now you had more who could, again, freely worship. But some of that was bad because now you had, in, in many instances, the veneer of Christianity without the actual heart or passion. People who claimed to be Christian followers but weren't really concerned. And it reminds me a little bit of a generation gone by in America. A generation ago, we had basically, in many ways, a Christian culture where where people had the veneer of Christianity and Christian habits, but maybe not necessarily the the, the walk and the the passion behind it. Um, And and when we consider even this day and age of what we live in, we're not persecuted. No one's facing death for the faith, at least not yet. And Lord be praised. But what we're seeing happening in Christianity in America is that there is a decline declined for years, actually, in the numbers of those who confess to be Christ followers and actually passionately pursue. Whereas, do you know what's happening in China? In China, where there is heavy persecution, where it's illegal to be a Christian, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. The gospel is spreading to many, many. In fact, some say that there are going to be more Christians in China than those actually living in the United States of America. That's what God is doing there under Persecution. And so i got a principle, if you've kept with me during this history lesson. That if you want to be passionate, and if you want to avoid apathy, well, the solution often is adversity. And so I hope your 2019 is full of adversity. Amen. Such an encouraging word. But it's true, isn't it? It's true that sometimes God allows certain things so that we will not be apathetic because we can't be apathetic. It's so painful, it's so tough, that all we can do is cry out and say help. In fact, when when God was diagnosing this church, he said, here's the solution. Here's the solution. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in fire so you can become rich. Now, what does that mean? Well, I, I can't buy gold from God on Amazon, so... What does Scripture say? Well, does anyone know where else it talks about gold refined by fire? In 1 Peter it says this. It says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your, can you say that word? Of your faith. Faith, that's what he's talking about. Of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire. What he's looking for, the gold he wants for us, is a persistent faith. One that says, come hell or high water, I will follow Jesus. One that says, you can rob me, you can kill me, you can imprison me, it doesn't matter. Jesus is my Lord. And how do you get this refined faith? This thing that is more precious from gold, gold from God, it says. Well, well, what have come? These have come. Well, what, Peter, have come? Well, if you back up just a verse, it says, grief and all kinds of trials a.k.a. adversity, led to a faith that was refined by fire, which is the gold that God desires of us. It's the gold that he works in, those that he loves. And I think this is so phenomenal, so profound a principle, that it can even reframe how you look at your suffering. Because maybe in 2018, you were through some things. And you were wrestling with it, and you were wondering, God, why would you allow such things? And the answer is, because I love you. Because I knew if it was easy for you, you'd be tempted to drift away. I knew if it was all what you wanted in convenience and comfortability, you would not stick in and persist in ways that you needed to persist. This is a heavenly father. who he wants gold for his children. And, and maybe, again, parents can relate to this. I know there are parents in the room. When it comes to your kids, do you only want what is easy and comfortable for them? Is that your goal? Easy and comfort. Hope you get it. Is that what I want? <laughs> Sometimes, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but other times, I, I want to challenge them, and I want them to be challenged by others when they go to school, and I want them to know the value of hard work and and sweating and and, and persisting, and and that's life, right? And so, out of love, I don't just allow them to be just easy and comfortable. Is that true? Probably. Thanks, Dad. Well, is it not true that Heavenly Father would operate this way? Is it maybe true that God loves you enough not to make it easy? Right? Because God knows what ease would do. He knows you'd be tempted just to go away, to say, I don't need you. But for those he loves, look at what the verse says. To those I love, I rebuke and I discipline. And any parent knows rebuke and discipline is never fun but it's so necessary for you to shape up, for you to find what you need in me. In fact, if you've ever been at a point where you would say, God, I'll do whatever you want, just would you help me? Maybe that's evidence not just of sin, but of a loving rebuke who's trying to wake you up to the reality that you need him. We are not self-sufficient. You know, as we learn this, uh, vision for the future is the life of a man I saw this past week, I had a chance to go to a hospital and meet a doctor who was changed by the grace of God. He said he was an atheist, one who was living in sin, one who had felt what it was like to be in hell or experience hell, but that the grace of God broke through. And because the grace of God broke through, he said, you could not shut me up when it comes to the faith, when it comes to God and what he did. In fact, he's not only a doctor, but he's studying at a seminary in California, a branch of theology called Apologetics, which is just defending the faith. So a doctor plus a seminary student, that's pretty cool. He, he, he shared with me one of his poems. He had just written 52 Christian poems because the Lord led him to do it. That, that's what he said. And, and just phenomenal poems. And this was a man who was anything but apathetic. In fact, he infused the whole room with life and joy and the testimony of Jesus and his goodness. It reminded me of a man completely sold out for the cause of Jesus Christ. It reminded me of, man, that's that's what I want to be. So what about you? Friends, YOLO, (laughs) and in this sense, you only get one chance to give God the glory. What are you doing with that chance? Are you completely sold out? And you know, as you consider what you might do to f- passionately follow him, your homework is this, pick an outlet where you can use that passion. And for him, it was writing 52 poems. For, for you, it might be some art form, whether it be drawing or singing or music. Uh, for you, it might be how you go about your work. For you, it might be a, a relationship. Uh, f- for you, it might be any any sort of reason, but pick an avenue that declares, Lord, I am not giving up. I'm, I'm digging in, passionately pursuing your will and your kingdom. May God so bless you. Amen. Please stand.